This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Uh, If I haven't met you, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just want to say happy anniversary. You guys are looking good for 12. Really, really good for 12. I mean, seriously, some of you. Uh, It's it's, it's really a, a, a great day celebrating for us. At 10, we did a big thing in the service and, you know, like had videos and testimonies, that kind of stuff. For 12... Uh, we'll just go play Hungry Hippos at the park. Uh, so, uh, live Hungry Hippos, not the little board game. But we'll go do that this afternoon. So, uh, this morning, uh, the passage I'm going to talk about to you, uh, it will be a different kind of sermon because I am going to take the anniversary opportunity to review some of our history together. So, if you're new, that, that, that might be really interesting or vaguely interesting, I'm not sure. But, uh, but it will give you a little window into our story. So, there'll be some of that in here today. Uh, and I'm just going to talk a little bit about what the Lord has done uh, for us. We're wrapping up a series. This is the last message in a series called Everyday Gospel, where the big idea was how does the gospel impact our daily lives? How does knowing Christ, walking with him, how does it impact the way we work, the way we eat, the way we sleep, the way we spend our money, the way we do leisure life, um, the, way we, um, uh, the, the way we use social media, so we talked about all those kind of things, and then two weeks ago I talked about how does it affect the way we view our place, and so today I'm going to really talk about the second, this is a part two to that, uh, the gospel and our place, and I'll explain to you what I mean by that in just a second, but let's pray to begin. Lord, thank you for 12 years of your faithfulness. You've been faithfulness, uh, you've been faithful forever, Lord, but we as a church family have experienced that faithfulness together as you formed this body as you have built us and watched over us, guarded us, protected us, cared for us during both desert-type seasons and renewing, uh, flourishing-type seasons as well, Lord. Uh, and so you have, uh, you've walked with us, and we just say thank you, how grateful we are for you and all that you have done in our midst. And I pray today that as I open this text of Scripture, you would be glorified your people would be inspired to look at Jesus afresh and grateful for what he has done for us, Father, and that you would help us understand more what your purpose is for us um, together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so um, two weeks ago, I talked about the idea of place and how we are embodied people. God created us as embodied people. That we have physical bodies and places us in physical locations. And so we see this throughout the Bible. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, were created and placed in a garden. It was a perfect garden environment. But they were not everywhere. Only God is everywhere at once. We are created by our very nature to be in a place. And only one place uh, at a time can we physically uh, exist. And uh, so when they sinned and the curse came, part of the curse was they were no longer in place, they were displaced. They were removed from their place. And we can take this idea of place and it really runs through the whole Bible. We see that in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make a nation out of you and I'm going to give you a place. You're going to have a land. And of course, that becomes the people of Israel from Abraham. They do have a land. They do have a temple in Jerusalem. And then uh, many years later, uh, 
Jesus comes, the God-man, and God moves his place to us. God in the flesh comes to us. Jesus dies for our sins. Jesus is buried. He's raised on the third day, and all those who believe in him receive new life. He pours out his spirit on his followers, and then they are displaced to various areas to preach the gospel. But here's what happens. When the gospel is declared throughout the book of Acts, people believe and churches are formed. It's not just random folks buying into a new philosophy. No, they're joined together as a people and churches are birthed and, and, and they have a place together. And so that's what I want to talk about today, how we have a place together. So last time when I talked individually to us about place, I talked about thinking about your place. And we all sort of, in our mind's eye, imagined the block we live on, the office we work in or the job site that we go to, the gym that maybe we exercise in, the library that we check out books, the stores that we go, the coffee shop that we hang out in, the field that our kids play soccer in, wherever your places are. We thought about those places and what faithfulness in those places means like and how God wants to reach the people in those places through us. So we talked about how being a Christian is not just reading your Bible and coming to church and doing religious things. All of life, in all the places that we are, we are to live for his glory. So that was our scattered witness. We're scattered to various locales and we're to walk faithfully there. But that is true for us as well as a people because we're scattered in all kinds of places, but then we gather right here. And so I want to talk today about this place, the place God has called us together to be a faithful presence in a community representing him. And so on our 12th anniversary, uh, first of all, I want to thank God for where he placed us, which is right where you're sitting. I want to thank God that he has placed us in this locale, that we, we have a place from which to share the gospel and to walk out our corporate worship and our testimony together to our surrounding area. And I want to consider what this place means for us, what is his calling is on us, and then what it means for our future as well. So I want to look at uh, Isaiah 27. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 27. If you don't, there's a Bible in front of you and the chair in front of you. Pull that out and go to page 340. Page 340 is where Isaiah 27 is. And uh, I'm going to talk about this idea of God's people together in a place. Now, this is a different topic. I get that. But I, I trust it will be a helpful topic for us to think about together uh, on our anniversary. Isaiah 27, verse 6. Listen to God's word. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. That's, a, that's just an amazing verse, that God's people will take root, they will blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole word with fruit. So what, what, fill the whole world. So what's going on here is God is telling his people, prophesying through Isaiah, about a future day. And it is a great day that he's speaking of. This is how he describes it in verse 2. Back up four verses, verse 2. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. 
So God says there's this coming this day, and this is what it's going to be like. He's speaking in metaphorical language. There's not, there's not going to be literally a, a vineyard. He's speaking of his people as a vineyard. Uh, Jesus does that as well. I am the vine, you are the branches. But here he's speaking of vineyard, and he said, here's what it's going to be like for you, people of God, one day. It's going to be like a pleasant vineyard, and I'm going to be the one watering you, caring for you, protecting you every day, and I will have no wrath, no judgment to pour out in that day. He's speaking of a day that's future to them, but it's clearly a day that takes place after Jesus comes, because what we know in Jesus is Jesus comes, the God-man, he lives a perfect life. He dies as a substitute for our sins. He dies in our place. He's buried. He's raised. He defeats death. He defeats our our sins. We are forgiven if we believe in him. But what's happening on the cross is a lot of different things. God is reconciling people to himself. God is defeating the powers of the enemy, uh, all demonic powers, death, uh, sin. He's defeating the powers. Um, He is acting as a substitute for us, dying in our place. But he's also doing this. Among other things, Jesus is also receiving the judgment that's due us. There's a New Testament theological word for that. You see it in your Bible a few times called propitiation. Propitiation is a sacrifice that endures the wrath of God. And so when, Jesus, when God says, I will have no more wrath in that day, it's a day following the death and resurrection of Christ where the judgment for our sins was put on Christ. If you know Jesus, you are sitting here today and God has no judgment over you, no, no righteous anger towards your sin and your rebellion. You are welcomed and loved and adopted by him. So he's talking about that day. That day is a pleasant vineyard. And that's the day that we are living in right now. Verse 6, again, the people of God, Israel shall blossom. Well, I'm sorry, Jacob shall take root. That's another way of saying Israel. So God's people shall take root. God's people shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole earth with fruit. That is a, that is a day that it has its ultimate fulfillment in the future. But it is being fulfilled right now because right now, God's people are putting down root, they are are spreading out and blossoming with shoots, and people all over the world are coming to know Christ. As the gospel went forth from uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. So we we are part of that ends of the earth. It started in Jerusalem, it has spread out and continues, the gospel continues to go through people all over the planet as missionaries are sent out, as there's people living faithfully where they are located to share the gospel. It is bearing fruit, Jew and Gentile alike. So he's saying there's something that's going to happen that's way bigger than Israel and this small little piece of land. Uh, uh, the, 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 the glory of God is going to spread throughout the world as the gospel goes forth and people are going to know Jesus. And so Old Testament, an Old Testament scholar named Young said this of this verse. He says, the truth of God given to Israel will fill all the earth in the missionary proclamation of the gospel. This truth finds its fulfillment. This truth finds its fulfillment. It's a powerful, powerful metaphor of what God will do among his people. But here's, the, here's one of the key points in the metaphor. It's this, that God's people must take root in order to bear fruit. That's an agricultural truth, but it's, it's part of the passage. In that day, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots, and fill the whole world with fruit. It's a vision of what God's purposes are, that the seed won't just sort of blow around on the top of the soil, 
but it will be planted and God's people will be planted and deeply rooted. And as God's people are deeply rooted, there will be a lot of fruit that will come from that. It's a picture that speaks, speaks of growing deep in the soil where they are planted. It's a picture that speaks of stability, stability that leads to fruit. It's a picture of spreading and growing and expanding life as the blossoms put forth shoots and there's an expansion and growth of the gospel. It's a metaphor that describes the flourishing of God's people who aren't blown about but are deeply rooted. And, and, and there is a fruit that comes from them. That is that others are coming to know the good news of Jesus as well. And, and one of the points that stands out here is that we must take root in order to bear fruit. There is no fruit bearing without rootedness. And our mission is to, to root, be rooted, first of all, in the gospel, that we are rooted deep in the grace of God, in the scripture, in the truths of God, that we're rooted in his people, that we could say, hey, we're part of the people of God in tangible ways. I mean, it's easy to have a big vision of, hey, many people meeting the Lord and a lot of fruit going on, but, but the vision must work its way into the details about what are my connections among his people? How am I tied together with his people? How am I rooted in the gospel? How am I rooted in his people? How am I rooted in the community where God has placed me as well? It's deep rooting. It's not shallowness. The church, so often we're so, there's such a shallowness and a, a transience and, and a running to what's best next that we lack rootedness. We lack rootedness in his word. We lack rootedness in a local church community. We lack rootedness in the community that we live in. We lack rootedness in our jobs and in our neighborhoods. And is it any wonder that there's often minimal fruit in our lives and it's because of a lack of rootedness. Rootlessness was part of the original curse. It is a blessing to be rooted. It is a blessing to be rooted. And so God says to his people, they're coming in a day where it's going to be a pleasant vineyard. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that God calls us to today. This is the pattern of the New Testament as well. So when the gospel goes out with the apostles, what happens? They go to cities, they proclaim the gospel, and people don't just say, well, that's an interesting concept. I think I'll, you know, that's an interesting ideology. To, you know, I'm fascinated by your philosophy. People believe in Jesus and receive new life. They're given new life, and then they're joined together in local churches. And it's strategic in God's timing that the gospel went out into the Greco-Roman world when it did because the cities that we read about in the New Testament are largely smaller by our standards. They're, many of them are 50,000 people or so. And they're tightly compacted so that when one person's life is changed, it's just spread very naturally because people were living very much on top of each other in society then. Uh, densely populated places. And so what we see in the New Testament is not just vague theological treatises. Hey, here's some ideas, but it's no, here's a letter to the church that's in Corinth. <clears throat> You're in a place, and we're going to tell you, Paul's going to tell them how to live in that place as the people of God. Church at Thessalonica, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, these are places God cares about, places. God cares about those communities and the people in those places, and he wants that church built up so that he receives glory, so that people are cared for, but so that people can look on and say, oh, that's what it means to know Jesus. I see a community in, in the community, a community within the community representing light in a world of darkness. That's God's plan. It's to draw us together together 
in a community to bear witness both individually and corporately together. That's the New Testament, and that's why letters are written to specific churches in specific places. And we get to be a part of the same thing together. Last week, it was all about you and where you work and where you live and your family and your chores in your home and your neighborhood and, you know, where you, uh, where you do recreation and where you take a walk and where you work. It was all about where you are, but today I want to talk about where we are and where God has called us together from this place. God has sovereignly placed us here. I, uh, if you'll allow me to reminisce a bit, and uh, I suppose I'm not really giving you a choice, but I'm going to do it anyway. However, it, it's polite to ask. Uh, I was reviewing this week some old sermons, and I reviewed a, pass, a sermon where I talked about this passage. Here's when this sermon was. It was 15 months into the church. So it was, so we're, we're celebrating 12 years right now. So this was, after we had started meeting Sunday mornings, this was 15 months of Sunday morning services. So we're at Fisher Elementary, which is in the trails, uh, which if, you're new, if you don't know where Fisher is, you weren't with us then. It's roughly at Maine and Teal. It's about where it is. And so we're meeting there. It's set up, take down. We're in this uh, quaint uh, little uh, auditorium sitting on our quaint hard plastic chairs for fourth graders. And uh, so we're there. And, uh, and I'm giving a message, and I'm talking, I'm challenging us to get rooted in the community. And so these are the notes. I'm just going to read you some of the stuff I was talking about in January 2007. You know, I don't journal. I, I'm kind of jealous of people that journal. If you journal, you have like a history of your life. And I'm getting to the age where like I've forgotten entire decades at a time. <laughs> like, I gotta, like, what did we do in our 30s? I don't know. I think we lived in California and had some kids, but I really can't tell you anything more than that. So you get older and you forget. But I do have sermons, so I can go back to old sermons, and I can really remember what was going on then. So this is what I said. Our desire is that God willing, that what we are putting our hands to right now as a church will have an enduring effect. Now, what was behind that was I had recently talked to a pastor in the area. So we're 15 months old. I talked to a pastor who told me the time we planted right before us and up to that point, like 20 churches had planted in Frisco and only 11 were remaining. So it's about 50% death rate. And uh, I didn't check his facts, but it scared me. So I was like, oh, man, we better pray. We better talk about enduring. So that's why I said our desire is that what we're doing right now will have an enduring effect, parentheses, because a pastor told me churches are dying left and right and we don't want to die. Okay, so that's what I was saying. But then I said, God has put us in this area and is calling us to put down roots. How can we take root? And then I gave a bunch of illustrations, interestingly, without looking at this, that I gave two weeks ago. Exact same kind of stuff. Then I said, we're asking how we can corporately together put down roots as well. And one way of being rooted in this community is to have a permanent facility. Fifteen months in. We're grateful for this facility. Fisher Elementary, but it is temporary. The school district limits us to four years, and we're now a year and three months into that four-year window. This is not a long-term solution for us, and we would like to begin to seek the Lord to provide a building for us. There's many reasons we want a building besides the fact that the clock is ticking. So we get kicked out in four years. We are a year and three months in. But there's other reasons we want a building. First of all, we want to take root. A permanent facility allows us to take root in our community with a presence that we don't have when we set up our signs for a few hours on Sunday morning. 
is it allows us to serve the church body and our community in a much more fruitful way. It allows us to take root beyond ourselves and provide for the next generation. We're not planting a one-generation church. We're planting a church that by God's grace will last and will multiply and will plant others. This year, January 2007, this year we will be seeking to invest together and to begin saving money for land or an existing facility. We do have a building fund. It's the best kept secret in the church. It's actually in my notes. So the pastors and some others critique me and basically say, you are a bad fundraiser. And, I, you know, maybe that's true because we had a building fund and nobody knew about it. Like, it was a secret. And I, I never went to fundraising school, but I think, like, one of the things is let the church know. <laughs> so we hadn't let the church know that there's already a building fund. So it, uh, the building fund is now outed at this point. We have a building fund. More to come on this. So I didn't want to say much about it. Just acknowledge it. <laughs> but it's still kind of hidden. More to come on this. That's what I know to say. More to come. Oh, okay. But for now, we just want to make the point that part of taking root in the community is having a building to use for worship, outreach, teaching, and service to others. Then I read 1 Corinthians 3.6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. Then... I made some sarcastic remark in my notes about, we're not putting a red thermometer up here for our building fund. What we're going to do is we're going to go pray. We're going to go pray, and I called the church to prayer, January of 2007. And uh, God answered that prayer, all those prayers. So as we sit here this morning, I'm just amazed. Every place has a story. And this place where we're worshiping and gathering this morning, many of you are new, it has a story. It has a history that, that God did something to bring us to this place. Our, our church, I think, is aptly named Grace Church because our story is one blessing of God's grace upon us after another. And that's true of you if you're a Christian. That's true. It's grace. It's grace that we are here. We sit here today as recipients of grace. See, when I was saying that stuff, Let's pray. we got this building fund. Someday we're going to have a building. What I didn't know and what no one in the room knew is that right where we're standing right now, that these streets were already named at that point. Grace Street and Church Street. They weren't built. It was a field. But there was a plat with these, name, these street names on it, Grace Street and Church Street. We didn't know that. We didn't know that there was a Christian donor that owned this land and said that he wanted a church to preach the gospel at the center of the city. He wanted a gospel witness here for generations. We didn't know that guy, and through a, I don't have time to tell the story, but through a number of kind of funny circumstances, we met that guy, and that guy said, yeah, we're, we're going to, I'm going to give this land, I want you to build a building on the pre-named streets ordained for the very name of our church. What I didn't know is that the hidden building fund would come out and be called the Generations Fund. We didn't know that. I didn't know that people would give generously, that people would sacrifice, that people would make significant pledges and gifts to that, and that God would allow us to build over here. And so now we've been here for 18 months. We've been in this 
facility. That's part of our story, a story of grace. Usually when we speak about the church, I only speak about the people because the church is people, the church is not a building. But there's a time to talk about place and say, where did God put us and how did he put us here and how good he has been to us to locate us right here. He's enabled us to serve in the last 18 months and to meet more people than we ever imagined. Not on Sundays only, but throughout the week. We've had so many opportunities, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, to serve people. He's placed us here so that we could take root in this location and we could bear fruit all around us for his glory. So it's been 18 months. It's been harried at points. It's been a lot, a lot of stuff going on. I mean, there's way more stuff going on around here, and I'm going to talk about some of it than I even know about. I find out about stuff all the time that's happening. And so there's been a lot that's going on. But I wanted to take a moment this morning and just sort of catch our breath and say we've been here 18 months and sort of thank God for what he's done, review a little bit of what he's done, and then lay some vision for you about what God might do, I pray he would do, as we move forward. So last week I talked about three things. I called everybody, there was three calls to action. Know your place, um, which meant, uh, which meant l- think about where you are, think, meet your neighbors, meet your coworkers, uh, go to the same coffee shop or wherever you hang out regularly go to the same park if there's cooler restaurants to go to in dallas don't go to the ones you live by regularly go sometimes but have have, be a regular so that you have an opportunity to meet places be a regular citizen in your neighborhood be faithful and all that so i said know your place i said engage your place that was point two so that means pray i talked about doing a prayer walk through your neighborhood and if it's not weird looking through where you work if you can walk around the campus if you're working a place with the campus and pray um, through the various places you go, the park in your neighborhood that you take your kids to, walk around it and pray. So I engage, and then I challenge people uh, to stay in, in your place, that if God would give you a calling to, to be in one city for a long time, that that would be a, a real blessing. Well, I'm going to do the exact same thing with us right here. So I'm going to take that same exercise and apply it to us as a people. So this is all corporate, family together application. But I'm not going to start with know your place. I'm going to start with engage. You have to know before you can engage. But I'm going to start with engage your place. And because it's our anniversary, I just want to review how God has allowed us to use this building in the last 18 months to serve our city. Let me be very clear. Buildings do not draw people. The Spirit of God draws people. Buildings do not save people. Jesus alone saves people, and that message gets to people not through buildings, but through faithful Christian witnesses. So it's the Holy Spirit bringing the message of Jesus to people through his people. That's the process, not a building. The building is only a tool. But I want to recount how God in his faithfulness has used the tool to help us cultivate relationships which have led to ministry and partnerships in ministry. It's just a tool, but God will take that tool, and he has. uh, And he has since 2007. I said, one day maybe we'll have a building. Let's pray, because then that would open doors for us to connect. Here's a few things that have happened in the last year. Here's some connections with the city. In both 2016 and 2017, we were enabled to host the city volunteers uh, both years at the Freedom Fest, which is a huge Fourth of July event that happens out here in the square. It's hot as, well, it's hot. (laughs) I wasn't going to slip. I don't say that. But it it, it was really hot. Uh, And uh, and so 
all the volunteers were able to work in here. They fed them. They gave them drink. They were able to use their server. They were able to use an indoor bathroom instead of a porta potty with uh, 20,000 people out there. Uh, just it was a place for us to serve them both years and connect. Last year, we couldn't do this this year because we were doing some construction in the building. But last year, we were able to host Frisco Family Services back to school day where 400 um, economically disadvantaged students and their families were able to come to a place. So the building was in use for a week as, city, uh, as uh, volunteers throughout the city gathered here, as well as people from our church, and collected things to give to these families on a Saturday. And a lot of places do give a backpack to a kid that has a need, and that's beautiful. But what Frisco Family Services did here was <laughs> well beyond that. It was food, uh, it, was, it was clothing, it was haircuts, back-to-school haircuts, it was manicures for the older girls, it was vision tests and free eyeglasses for those who needed glasses to go back to school. Uh, it was amazing. And so it was just an opportunity for us to connect uh, and serve, use our facility as a tool to serve others. Think about how we've partnered with city government in the last year to be a blessing to our city in a nonpartisan way. We didn't pick sides, but what we were able to do was host city council, school district and Collin College Board candidate forums. So in those three elections, city council, school district, and Collin College, they all were on this, all the candidates were on this stage, people were asking questions, able to serve our city as they were able to, um, we were able to be politically involved, to be a place that opens up and says, what's going on in our city? We should care if you live in this city. If you live in uh, McKinney or Prosper or Little Elm or one of the cities connected to us, Plano, you should care about that as well. Um, but we were able to we were able to learn what's going on. We hosted two mayoral town halls right here, uh, which were kind of debates between the two mayor can mayoral candidates. Uh, we host hosted a town hall where our, the state representative came here and was uh, uh, able to meet with uh, folks who wanted to come hear him as well. Um, the Frisco Young Professionals have had a couple of luncheons here, and they're about to have another one, I just found out, right here. So we're able to take younger people in the community, partner with the Chamber of Commerce, and allow them to have a venue so that people could meet in our city. Uh, we've sought to connect in various ways with the arts community. We've had a local children's theater uh, use the building here and perform. We've had the Frisco Youth Symphony Orchestra perform here. We've had the Odysseus Chamber Orchestra perform multiple times their last season. Uh, and again, they'll be performing here this year, uh, Frank Sinatra next month. Uh, we hosted a couple of Christmas concerts as well here. So these activities are putting down roots, connecting with our place. Are they evangelistic? Uh, not immediately. I didn't hop up in the mayoral debate and said, give me that mic and start preaching Jesus or something like that. We weren't handing out tracts when people came to uh, hear Peter and the Wolf or something like that. And uh, Peter, yeah, he's in the Bible. No, we didn't do stuff like that. We just, it, it's, it's, here's what it is. It's recalibrating a vision from short-term impact. How many decisions? How many numbers? How many of that? to long-term vision. When you read the, the Bible, it is God works over generations. We want it in the next hour. God works over generations. God has a very long-term view, and we feel like the Lord placed us in a place for the long-term. So let's dig some deep roots. Let's serve. Let's love. Let's open our doors. Let's show some hospitality where we can, and let's partner. Uh, think about mercy ministries. Um, Life Talk, we talked about them last, year, last uh, week. They've had a banquet here before. They'll be hosting their fundraiser here, uh, a black tie dinner here later this month. What is Life Talk? Well, it's an organization um, 
that helps um, mo uh, moms with un un unplanned pregnancies. It's Crisis Pregnancy Center. They provide other health services as well. But what are they doing? They're saving babies' lives. That really, really matters. They're serving parents, moms, who are in that situation, who found themselves with an unplanned pregnancy. And so we want to partner with them. And this could be a place where they could raise money. And may they raise a ton of money to save a bunch of children. We've used the building for adoption and orphan care ministry. I mean, it's amazing. Our building has been used to train uh, people so that they can actually get licensed from start to finish. They can get licensed to foster and adopt children in need. We've hosted CPR classes for foster's parents. We, we hosted a match dinner in this room for Second Story, which allowed prospective adoptive parents to come find out about children in foster care that need adoption and get matched. So you just think, what happens here? I, I don't know. I just come on Sunday and worship. Like, pe people are getting adopted out of this room by God's grace, you know, not on the moment, but matched up and then go through a process. I mean, that is glory. That matters to the Lord. The saving of lives matter. They're the weakest among us. Um, the uh, adopting an orphan matters. They are the weak that throughout the scripture, God highlights widows and orphans as those in need. And so the Lord's opened the door, not for us to go create something new, but to partner with those who are. We've been able to serve churches and ministries. I don't know if you know, but a Korean-speaking Southern Baptist church was launched in this building recently. They'll be meeting this afternoon. Um, Bent Tree Bible Church in Frisco, their youth ministry meets here. Frisco Young Life will be doing a concert here next week. Camerata School, which is a full-time Christian day school, meets here Monday to Friday. So we, other ministries, other people that are reaching people and training people and teaching people that we have no contact with are doing that from this location. We're seeking to connect and put down roots, being a blessing to the city, being a blessing to the city government, the arts, the mercy ministries, education, other churches even that have ministries that we can be a blessing to. We're trying to serve in other places as well. You know, we mentioned this morning, Clothe a Child. We've done that for a number of years. Frisco Fast Pack. So we had people in our church. We collected food out there, you know, last week and then, or a couple of weeks, and then this last week, uh, folks from our church went to Frisco Fast Packs and packed food into bags so that they're sent home with economically disadvantaged students in Frisco schools. They're sent home with them on Friday so they have something to eat Saturday and Sunday before they get another meal when they come on Monday morning and get breakfast at the school. Why am I telling you all that? Well, we have differing levels of involvement with all of these different organizations. I'm not telling you that to in impress you. What I'm, I'm telling you that because of this. Of everything I just mentioned, none of it was happening 19 months ago except clothe a child. We did clothe a child. But everything else I mentioned, I don't know that any of that happened from us 19 months ago. But God put us in a place, told us to build some roots, and gave us opportunities to make relationships so that now it's oftentimes what we can't do everything. What do we say no to? We can't do uh, everything. And, and what, what are we to say yes to? So I, I just want to thank the Lord and say, uh, Tim described it this way. We're talking about it this week. And Tim described it as, you know, we moved over here. Clearly, we, it's like the Beverly Hillbillies. This was like a really nice building, but we have no idea what we're doing. We have no experience doing any of this stuff. And we just walk in, and because there's a nice building, people uh, make some assumptions about you. 
and <laughs> their false assumptions, like those people probably know what they're doing. No, God provided, and Tim knows what he's doing, so we've got a building. But beyond that, the rest of us don't know what we're doing. And so it was just a blessing to say, Lord, you have been so, you're just bringing need to us, and we're so thankful for it. So we want to continue our efforts out to the city. But I want to talk about our place here in a little bit different way. So that's how we have been engaging, and we're going to engage more. But I want to talk about knowing where we are right here. What do we know about the place we're called to? Well, everybody knows about Frisco. Frisco's fast-growing. I always see these lists. It's the fastest. It's the second fastest. It's the third. It's the first. It's the fast. It's the best place to raise an athlete, I read one time. It's the best place to get a job. I don't know. It's the best place to eat an ice cream cone. I don't know. It's like the best place to do everything. We have no issue with pride in this city. I was just thinking about we live in the proudest country. God have mercy on us. Our nationalism. We, we live in the proudest country in the world we live in the proudest state, Texas arrogance. See, people are hooting and hollering. You should be convicted about what I'm saying. You'd be like, yes, that's me. I'm sinfully proud. I'm shouting at church. Uh, so we live in the proud. I'm joking, whoever did that. But we, we live in the proudest. I'm only kind of joking about the America thing and the Texas thing. I mean, seriously, we've got to humble ourselves. But we live in the proudest state. And I don't know, I love Frisco. I'd wear a Frisco t-shirt, but we might live in the proudest city in the proudest state in the proudest country. God grant us humility, seriously where we are. So we all know we're at the top of every list about how great life is. Everything's new. People are moving here for comfort, safety, excellent schools. We know about Frisco Square. Now let's narrow it right where we are. Hundreds of thousands of people come here. We talk about that all the time. Every Christmas, hundreds of thousands, you know, all the events that are happening. I mean, you drive by, there, there's stuff happening here all the time. There's a farmer's market. There's arts in the square. There's a storytelling festival. I mean, there's like a 5K every weekend. Every weekend out here, somebody's running. So if you like to run, just come out here in some shorts. And I don't care what weekend it is. Some cause is having a run right through Frisco Square. You can come and participate. So we know all that's going on here. We know all the people that live here. We know there's a, an apartment complex just north of here. There's one uh, across Maine that's being built. The numbers we've heard is all this grass around us, all the way. There's townhomes being built right there. And then everywhere else, there's, I've heard two numbers. I don't know what it is, but 1,300 to 1,600 apartment units are going to be built all around there. So I don't know. It's another two, 3,000 people that could just walk across the street to church. But I, but I want to talk about right now who lives around us and where has God placed us. Last week, we sang the Sesame Street song, Who Are the People in Your Neighborhood? They're in your neighborhood. They're in your neighborhood. The people that you meet when you're walking down the street. So I address that to your neighborhood. But I'm going to address that now to Grace Church's neighborhood. Right before we moved in here, I had an opportunity to meet with the mayor. I don't hang out with people like that. I'm not dropping names. It was previous mayor. I had an opportunity to meet with him because we were moving here and said, I wanted to ask him how we could serve the city. And he said a number of things. But then he said, your church is landing in one of the most diverse places there is. And he began to walk me through what's north of us, what's west of us, what's south of us, what's east of us. And as he was talking, I was like, wow, this is really a diverse place. I had no idea. So uh, I thought about that. And about a year later, I'm slow on the uptake, I asked Tim to do some research. And he researched where we are. So I'm going to share a little bit of demographics because just like I asked you to know your job and your workplace and your neighborhood, I want us all to think about where did God plant us with this tool, this tool right here? Where did he place us? So I'm going to give some different demographic, a demographic study, starting with the median income of Frisco overall. So I'm going to give financial and then uh, an ethnic 
study here. So this is the median income of Frisco right now. Uh, and if you, if, you, if you forgot back from your class of economics or whatever, median means, not the average, but it means, uh, this is a shocking number to me, by the way, it, because it means half of Frisco residents make below that, their household income. That's not shocking. Half of Frisco residents make more than that. So that's Frisco. That's where we live. So we said, what is our spot like compared to the rest of the city? So Tim did a survey of, house, of, of households that are 1.8 miles from where we are. So we're not saying that's our only outreach area. If you drive home today and you're like, oh, two miles from the church, they don't care about us. No, we, <laughs> we love you. We love Prosper. We love Little Elm. We love McKinney. We love Plano. But for whatever reason, God placed us at Frisco Square. So we want to know our area. So 123,000 is median income. This is what we learned. 17% um, of people, households make less than 29,000 right here. Almost one in five of the households around here uh, make, you know, what is that? A, a fifth of, of, of what uh, the, the median is. 1,000 homes, 1,074 households around here make 29,000. There's nothing wrong. This is not, these are not judgment statements. It doesn't, there's nothing wrong with making any, any amount up here. I'm just saying, how does it compare to the city? Okay, the next band is 30 to 50,000. So that's another 17%. So the city median income is 123,000, but a third of the people, more, uh, a, more than a third of the people who live a mile point eight from here uh, make under 50,000, which is significantly less than the city's median income. That's, tw that's over, that's to, what is that? 2,100 homes, something like that. 2,100 households, or not homes, but households around here. Now you may say, well, the 29,000, but by the way, let me say this. If you took $10,000 uh, bands, which we did, the highest percentage of people that live 1.8 miles from here make 20 to 29,000. That's the most frequent, that's the most common band. Uh, and you say, well, that's probably because there's apartments and maybe there's like three single people who all represent a household that are living together. Well, we're going to talk about the, school, the schools in just a second. So it's singles, it's families as well. Okay, the next range is huge, 50 to one, up to the median, 125. So that's almost a third. That's 29%. So a third make under 50, third make 50 to 124. So you can look at that and say together that's about 63%. So on a bell curve, it should be 50% or below the median. Um, but we're not on that curve, so we're weighted heavier, much heavier to the bottom side, the, uh, the bottom below the median, which is no problem, but it's a window into where we are, and I think it's a window into the opportunity. Then we'll run through the other ones, uh, 125 to 175, 11%. So there's 700 households, a mile point eight from here that make that. The next one, 175 to 250, there's 760 households, about 12% that make that. And then 250,000 plus, about 14%, almost 1,900 households, uh, that is their household income. So what he told me is very accurate. Show me a place where 34% of the people make under 50,000 and they live within 1.8 miles from 26% of the people who make 175 more uh, and up, 14% uh, make 250 up. So it means that in a dense, I think this is probably the most economically diverse area around where we are. So it means that there are people with a lot of wealth in walking distance to this building. 
And it means there's a lot of people who, compared to Frisco standards, not compared to na international standards, or even national, but compared to Frisco standards, make a lot less. I think that is a setup for reaching people who have means to care for those both locally and beyond that have need. That is a perfect setup. If everybody was at a place of need, what, what would we do? If everybody was at a place of wealth, then we'd have to all go drive somewhere and find a place. But we live in a place where people can walk. I mean, 1.8 miles is a good walk. But you could walk here, and those are the numbers. If you live right here, literally, if, you're, if your family lives on the third row of this room, <laughs> if you live on the third row of this building and you have an elementary school kid, um, this is the finan financial reality of the, of the elementary school that's zoned for right where we stand. 48.8% of the students in that school are economically disadvantaged, which is, which is uh, tied to a federal standard, which means they qualify for assisted or free lunch lunches. In Frisco, yeah, half the kids that go to the school right where we are, that is the need. Yet we got a... Yet we got 25% of the people right around here make 175 grand and up in their household. Th that, that speaks of tremendous opportunity where we are. And maybe, you, maybe that's where you are. There's tremendous opportunity to, uh, to receive help in this area, and we want to be part of that help. We have always prayed and not known how to do it, but we've always prayed that the Lord would increase our ethnic diversity. And uh, the Lord has done that over the years, but we feel like we've got a long way to go. But it's always been a prayer. I don't ever remember praying, though, Lord, drop us in a place that is diverse. People have an impression about what is the ethnic reality of Frisco. Let me tell you the ethnic reality of where we live, or whether, where, not where we live, but where we gather for worship. That same elementary school, these are the demographics of that school. If you live on the third row, you go to a school that is a third white, almost a third Hispanic, 23.8% African-American and 6.3% Asian. I think it would be great if our church looked more like that. No offense to my Asian friends because we might have more than 6%. I don't want to lower the Asian population. I just thought of that. What if we have 8% Asian and somebody go, hey, wait, are you trying to get rid of something? No, I don't mean that. That's bad. I didn't mean that. I don't want anybody to go. But I'm just saying as new people come in, so you say, well, that's not where I live. I'm, I'm in McKinney, and it looks different. I'm in, you know, East. If I'm in East Frisco and that looks different, the numbers would be different there. I'm in West Frisco. The numbers would be different there with different percentages of different uh, ethnic groups. I live in Prosper. It would be different there. But, man, that's a sweet opportunity as far as I can imagine. God placed us in an environment like that. He placed us in what I think of as not a very diverse place, in a highly diverse location, economically and socioeconomically. So what do we do about that? Well, here's the deal. Ten years ago, I stood at a music stand in, uh, in, uh, in elementary school. I stood in an, in a, at, with a music stand as a pulpit. We were poor in those days, just had a music stand. And uh, I stood at, the, at there and I said, let's pray for a building. And I have no idea what will happen. And God answered that prayer. So I'm standing in a wood pulpit in a very nice building today and say, let's pray that God would help us over the years to more 
uh, powerfully reach and influence those who could walk to this building. And I have no idea how that will happen. But we are planning. We're trying to plan how we can grow in mercy ministry and benevolence ministry. We have some things in place for that right now. But let's pray that God would give us greater diversity at every level. I have no idea what will happen, but let's start praying. And all I know is that worked before. So I'm going to take the same strategy 10 years later and go, okay, Lord, you are great. Here's the last point. Stay in your place. Know your place. Engage your place. So you just learned about this place right now. I think we all learned something. I know I did. And we talked about how we've engaged and we're going to engage further. But let's talk about staying in our place as well. I read this quote to you from a book called Staying is the New Going last week. And it's two weeks ago. It says, effectiveness almost always grows over time while rooted in a place. There's a direct correlation between how long we are in a place faithfully living like Jesus and the impact we will have on people. So we applied that to us individually. Where's God placed you in your job, in your relationships? Ask the Lord, would he let you stay there? Now maybe he's going to move you on. Maybe he's going to move you to a new community. Maybe he's going to move you from a renter to an owner of a house, and that's going to mean a move. Uh, maybe there's any reason you're, 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 uh, you know, your elderly mom's going to come live with you, so you need to get a new place. There's all kinds of good reasons to move. But if you're in a place that you could stay, we talked about last week the, the benefit of long-term in a job, in a home, and in a church. And here's why, because I think the equation is like this. Loving service plus time equals trust. The longer you build relationships, you care, you take interest, you reach out to people, not as a project, but because you really care about them as a person. The longer you do that, the more frequently, the more they know you, if they're in your home, if they're in our home, this building, if, if there's a connection there, over time it builds trust. And most people come to Christ through a trusted relationship. Most people do. Most people come because they knew someone that took an interest in them, that shared the gospel with them, and then connected them to a family of believers. So love service plus time equals trust. God has placed us in a key spot for the long term we trust. And so we want to have God's thinking. What are the generations? Now, we want to think about spreading out. We want to think, I'm not talking about this today, but we want to think about church planting uh, in the DFW area, in Texas or our nation, uh, where can we partner in other parts of the world, especially where there would be unreached folk, unreached people. So we want to talk about all those kind of things. But, you know, really all that out there, it, it's healthier when there's a, a healthy root where you are. You build where you are, and from that comes fruit, which includes sending. As opposed to just talking about sending all the time, and nobody has any rootedness where they are. It lacks integrity, first of all. But secondly, I think the Lord wants a strong body, deeply rooted, that then has the resources to send and send and send. And so that's part of our vision, is that we don't have to wait for multiple generations to send, but that we could uh, be thinking about the next generation where we are. So I'm going to say a word about our Generations Fund. We do have a building fund, and it's not a secret, and it's not like behind the door. And um, uh, We have a Generations Fund, and those of you who have given to that, uh, your annual pledge, we end this month. October, we're in October, wow. We end this month. And so next month we'll have an opportunity to do it again. Now you say, why would we be doing a building fund when we are in a building that sounds crazy. I don't get that. Well, here's the reason. Because we were able to get a loan that for the first three years we were paying uh, interest only on it. So what it means is we have not locked in our mortgage payment yet. We do that in the spring. And so every 
every dollar that we can pay into that now that pays down uh, our principal before we lock in in the spring, every dollar of that uh, goes farther because it, it, it lowers the amount we're borrowing, which means we pay less interest. So a dollar given today has more value in one sense than a dollar given next June, say, or something like that. It's great to give next June. We hope to pay down our debt as fast as we can, but there's something strategic about this. So we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks, and we'll give you an opportunity in November. Today, what I wanted to do was just put that bug in your ear and let you know, hey, we're at that time again, and, and just review and thank the Lord for what he's done here Thank the Lord for what the opportunity, so here's what he's done the last 18 months. Here's where we are that none of us are even thinking about where we are and the opportunities in walking distance that he could have for us, as well as the opportunities where you are, where he has placed you. So right now, I'm going to do what I did in 2007 and say the action item is pray. Let's begin to pray, and right now begin to pray what the, how the Lord would have you contribute next month. But then let's begin to pray about that. And then let's begin to pray both in our scattered witness as well. So all today, if you're a guest here, maybe this was a strange sermon. I can't promise they're not all strange, but they're not all like this. I'll tell you that. Uh, next week, we start a series in Proverbs. Where it's going to be called Proverbs in the Home. We're going to talk about what does the book of Proverbs teach us about family relationships for about a month. And then we're going to teach the book of Nehemiah verse by verse for a number of months. So that's where we're headed um, but today it was a time as a family to say, God has been good, look what he's done, look where he's placed us, and look where he's taken us, where he is going to take us. So let's think about that corporately. But as you go, also think individually. So as you go, where is it you're going to? Today we'll be at a park. Um, that We'll be doing recreation in a park. But where do you live? Where, what is your apartment? Who's in your apartment complex? Who's on your block? Where's the park? you're going to? Where's your gym? Where are you hanging out during the week? Let's engage those places with prayer, thinking, Lord, what are the opportunities? Who are the people? What are the needs? Am I known? Am I known? Let's do that individually as we have our scattered witness, as we dismiss here in just a moment. But then in our gathered witness, let's think about that as well. If our church disappeared tomorrow, would anyone in the neighborhood miss it? It's a telling question. If this disappeared tomorrow, would anyone around recent, the miles around here, would anybody, would it matter to anybody? We pray by God's grace it would be so deeply ingrained and so deeply rooted that it would matter profoundly that people would miss the gospel witness, not miss us for who we are or miss a structure, but miss the presence of Christ through the people of God um, where he has placed us. So on this anniversary, I'm going to say thank you. For years of faithful service, years of giving, years of serving, years of putting up with, uh, with, with your pastors, years of sticking through when times were challenging. We've been through challenging times as a church, and, and you stuck through that. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for investing your lives. Thank you for all the opportunities that I mentioned. You've just jumped in. You've been on board. Thank you for all of that. Thank you for your faithfulness. Um, so just thank you. It's a joy to be among you, be a part of this church. I love you guys and all the pastors do. We're just deeply appreciative. May God make us a faithful presence um, in this community and in our, where, where we scatter to. There may not be immediate fruit, but maybe the Lord root us so that over time, over time, there's relationships built, needs presented, opportunities to bring Christ and practical help to people in need. And may as we take root, May God bear much fruit. Let's pray.
You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.